Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Hi, my name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis. I've lived with rheumatoid arthritis for 17 years, and I'm also a mom, teacher, and occupational therapist. I'm so excited to share my tricks for managing the ups and downs of life with arthritis. Everything from kitchen life hacks to how to respond when people say you don't look sick, stress, work, sex, anxiety, fatigue, pregnancy, and parenting with chronic illness. No topic will be off limits here. I'll also talk to other patients and share their stories and advice. Think of this as your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. I'm so excited to have Jen Blair here today. Welcome, Jen. Can you let the audience know a little bit about yourself, like where you live and what your relationship to arthritis is? Yeah, I live in San Diego, California, and I have had arthritis for 36 years. I was diagnosed when I was one years old. Um, I woke up one morning with a swollen ankle, and my parents thought I got it caught in the crib, and they took me to the doctor just to be safe. And they pretty much had like a very quick diagnosis and said she has juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Um, my parents were definitely surprised by that. And that definitely like started my journey with uh, RA and JRA my, for this 36 years of my life. So um, <clears throat> yeah, that's pretty much the short version. <laughs> yeah, no. And that it's so different. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with people who have had juvenile arthritis from a young age versus people like me who kind of lived a quote unquote mm -hmm. normal life, which normal is a problematic word, but you know, a hell able-bodied life until X age and then suddenly experience a deterioration. So, um, you know, some people think, oh, you know, I wish I had not gotten it till I was older so I could experience, you know, what it was like 
to live a different way, but other people say, oh, I'm glad I got it since I was younger because I don't know any different. Like, do you know, do you have any opinions on that? Sorry, I'm like jumping into like- a No, jump away, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think no matter when you get diagnosed and like, it's something that you have to live with for the rest of your life, I think it's gonna be challenging. I think that maybe there's a little bit of a benefit getting it super young because it, it does, it is all, you know, you know, it's not, not like you, you know, you've had this abundant life where you have just running and playing and jumping and, and now suddenly your body's like kind of turned on you. It's just, it's something more like I've just had it. So I've had to learn to live with it and my whole life. And, and so I think it's a little easier, but no matter what, I mean, it's challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for the record, I always try to say this for people who might be, you know, we're, li- we're recording this in 2022 mm. and the medications currently in- available and other treatments available for people diagnosed nowadays are a lot better than the, than the medications available, like 37, or did you say 36 years ago? Sorry. Yeah. Already, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's, so, um, I only said that so that, you know, people, you shouldn't compare or your, you shouldn't expect your prognosis. If you would, if you're like, say a mom listening right now, or dad who has a child who's one year old, who gets diagnosed their prognosis or their, what's expected to occur with them physically in the next, you know, lifetime is a lot less serious in, in many ways because mm-hmm. of the newer medications. So yeah. but when you were diagnosed, it's pretty much, there weren't that many, you know, treatments. So can you tell us a little bit about now, what were the different treatments that you have tried over the years? <laughs> so when I, right when I was young, they started me on medication, like right away. Um, one of them was like called Naprosyn and Pediapred, which I'm sure most people haven't heard of, unless you're like a doctor who's been around for a while. And they were just like liquid. You would just squirt it into my mouth or my mom would hide it in my applesauce and stuff like that, you know? Um, and that kind of helped. And I did have like physical therapy twice a week for like most of my life. And then I was on like Plaquenil, which is that pill. And um, honestly, I didn't feel like it did much for me, but you know, they said take it. And so I took it. Um, and then I would, I was on like a, a couple experimental one called gamma globin, which never made it to market, but um, I did feel it helped. <laughs> and then eventually I got on the biologics. I've been on Emerald, Humira, Remicade. Um, oh, there's that one they inject into my thigh that I was supposed to inject. I didn't do very good with that. I guess that's called right now though. Um, but I've taken um, methotrexate. I've just I've just been on tons of them, you know. And I've taken methotrexate like in a shot, in the pill, liquid in my mouth, like everything. It was really gross, and I did not have a good side effect with it. Like I would throw up every time I would get the injection in my butt and stuff. Oh, I'm um, so sorry. Yeah, a lot of it was crazy. Like even in school, like something would just make me sleepy, and so I would just like fall asleep <laughs> during school. Yeah, and, yeah. Um. So the medication journey for me has been like a long one, and like lots of things, and you know, like well, what the side effect for this, or you know, maybe maybe she won't be able to have children. Like my mom had to make decisions when I was younger for me about medication because I was so little. You know, my uh, all my parts weren't grown and fully, and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So. Um, as far as medicines, that's it now. Currently, I'm just only on one, um, and it's just Celebrex, and I just right. take a pill. And then, other than that, I tried to manage it with like my diet and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And people are always really curious about dietary interventions or kind of the umbrella of lifestyle, which includes diet, exercise, sleep, stress management, all the kind of things you can do throughout your day. So, yeah, what are some of the things that have worked? 
well for you in your kind of lifestyle toolbox? So when I was younger, it was really hard. Like my arthritis was really, really bad. And I would just be in pain all the time. I would crawl to the pencil sharpener at school. I'd crawl around in my house because my knees would hurt so bad. And so when I was younger, for me, it was a lot harder. Like it was hard to move. I had like they serial casted me a couple of times. I had splints. I had all sorts of stuff like that. And then um, as I'm older now, um, I do exercise a lot. Like I go to the gym a lot because, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it for me personally in my journey in it. Um, and I try to control more like with my diet and stuff like that and just the things I eat. And then min I try to minimize now the medications I take um, so that just because it wears and tears on your body. And I've had it for so long and the medications I've had over, like you said, in the past weren't as not as good, but the, just there was more side effects and more harm could be caused to your body long-term. So now that's yeah. what, that's what I do to manage it now. Like, you know, and I have pain every day. It's just a matter of living with it. And like, you know, even though you feel it, like I don't let it stop me. Wow. That's, that's really powerful. And yeah, I mean, it's so fascinating to me how different people respond differently to, to medications. I do know that like the sooner you can get your disease under control, the better, you know, for your long-term prognosis. So if you unfortunately have had, you know, multiple years add up of, you know, less well-controlled rheumatoid arthritis, then the, you're kind of playing catch up the rest of your life, you know, um, mm -hmm. which is, which is unfortunate, but I love your attitude that, you know, that you're not kind of not going to let it stop you to your, to the greatest extent you can. And I want to kind of give even more details if you're willing to kind of share like a day in your life you know, what specifically does exercise look like to you? Because a lot of people get confused. They're like, do I have to run? Should I do like lower impact, like bicycling mm -hmm. or swimming? You know, what, what has worked for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's definitely gonna look different for everyone because every body is different. You know what I mean? And everyone is a different stage with their, um, I don't want to say illness, but you know what I mean? With arthritis or whatever they're suffering with or whatever they're struggling with in their body. Um, so for me, I do. I go to the gym probably like at least four days a week. And, um, there are times and my gym journey in itself has been like long, Oh, you know, like at least for at least 10 years I've been going and it would be a lot of like, i first, I would just do elliptical cause it's low impact on the knees, you know? And at that time, my knees were still real. I both my knees are replaced now. And so I would just do a lot of low impact. I would do swimming and that would help just to even, you know, move the body like that and stuff. And then now, like 10 years into the gym, my gym journey, um, I do lots of stuff, things I didn't think I could do. Like I'll do deadlifts, I'll do stairs, um, I'll do just like resistance weights and stuff like that. Like a lot of the machines for me are helpful because they work one muscle group at a time, you know, it's an isolated movement. And so that is helpful and I can control the weight, the resistance on my joints Cause all I, I can be, I can do more muscle wise, but I feel the pain in my joints first. So that, yeah. that for me is a little bit of a struggle, but I still, I just, I put, just put, I push through it because I know that that's what my body needs. Well, and yeah, there's such, there's so much that's still emerging with like pain science, you know, and pain medicine. But you, one of the things is that in the older days, they used to say, you know, always listen to your pain. And if you have any pain at all, so that's a signal to slow down. And that's considered outdated now. And as like mm. an overall, like, um, blanket statement, it's true for certain things. Like for example, after my C-section, 
the pain was so severe that I mean, it was so clear that like, I shouldn't move that area, you know, as much as like, like, but with chronic pain from a chronic ongoing condition, like juvenile idiopathic arthritis or rheumatoid arthritis, it's like, we have to kind of learn the differences between the different kinds of pain. Cause for me, yeah, like stiffness and a little bit of resistance to movement, that pain gets way better with mm-hmm. movement, mm-hmm. Even, yes. you know, and, um, but if it's a hot, like when I have a hot flare up, that's like really, I'm really inflamed, then I have to slow down a little bit, but it's so true that, you know, you, like you said earlier, you don't use it, you lose it. And also like, kind of, they say, um, joints and mo- like motion is lotion, you know, and the oh, arthritis yeah. foundation had this great campaign, you know, joints in motion, mm-hmm. um, a while ago, but yeah, that's, did you learn all of it on your own or did you have a personal trainer? How did that work? No, I did a lot of it. I learned on my own. And then more recently I've done just like a bunch of research for stuff that I wouldn't know that my body would need in, you know, when I'm working out or when I'm moving and the way I move it. And there's, I mean, personal trainers are super great. I mean, they're expensive. So I just kind of learned myself because that was easier for me. Um, but yeah, I definitely think like when you were saying like, you know, when you feel pain, you should stop. And I think, yeah, that is completely true to a degree for us. Like you said, if you're in like a big flare and you know, like you, you're not good, like I wouldn't push it, but like, you know, when you can kind of push it a lot of times, if you know your body, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I can, I can go a little further, you know? And so if, if you can then able to, like, I would say do it, but if not, definitely listen to your body. I'm a huge fan of that too. Yeah, no, it's, I think that's one of the most confusing things people in the, in the beginning, when they get newly diagnosed, they're like, I'm getting all these mixed messages. Like you have to exercise, but also listen to your body. And it honestly, it, I just say to be realistic, it's going to take trial and error. And what that mm-hmm. means is sometimes you're going to overdo it and feel really crappy the next day. And like, just go into it, expecting that and know that as time goes on, you'll find like your sweet spot or you like your sweet spot is a little bit of a moving target sometimes like sweet spot, meaning, you know, the just right amount of exercise for you, you know, and I might maybe certain days, like, like right now I have a little bit of a, I have a stuffy nose and a little bit of like, I'm fighting something. So I know that I'm, this isn't the day to like push myself on the exercise bike, but maybe next week I'll be able to, you know, maybe it's your body just wants rest. So give it what it needs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then you also mentioned like diet and nutrition. That's a really fascinating kind of slash stressful topic to me. Cause I feel like the data, like the scientific data on, um, the evidence for exercise for rheumatoid arthritis is very uniform and pretty clear that like Mm -hmm. there might be there's small differences. Um, if people have comorbidities, like if you also have like ME, like myalgic encephalomyelitis, like you definitely don't want to do like sprints and stuff that gets your heart rate up too high. Cause that's going to lead to more fatigue. But in general, if your main issue is rheumatoid arthritis, it's like getting moving is good, (laughs) you know, no matter what, but nutrition is like this rabbit hole to me. And I got 19 years into it. I'm still figuring it out. You know, Mm -hmm. I have had a lot of GI issues, gastrointestinal issues. Mm -hmm. Sorry, this I'm interviewing you, but I'll get back to you. But the point is I raised an idea. And like you said earlier, we're all different, but nutrition seems to be an area where we're all even more different than other areas because maybe one person's like, yeah, I can actually, I could walk on a flat surface for 10 minutes. Someone else is like 15 minutes. Someone else is like two hours, but it's still like, we're not that different as opposed to like, I eat only meat because I'm on the keto diet and that works amazing for me. Or I eat no meat and I'm on the vegan diet and that works amazing for me. Or 
like I ate just the standard American diet for seven years when I was, which is like, you know, processed food. And like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I wasn't like super unhealthy. I wasn't like eating McDonald's every day, but I ate whatever I wanted. And I was in complete Medicaid remission, Mm -hmm. you know? And so like, cause I was on Enbrel and methotrexate, which worked really well for me. So long story short, I I just love hearing about it because I get, I'm, I'm very confused about it still in my mind of like what, you know, how to sort through all the conflicting evidence. So tell us what you do and what works for you. Okay. So, um, yeah, I was on, and there's nothing wrong with taking medication. Like I'm a huge fan of it and I'm thankful that it's there and it works. You know what I mean? Like, I always know that if I need a quick fix, I can just be like prednisone, you know, <laughs> and then I won't sleep and feel like the Hulk, you know? Um, <laughs> totally. But, um, <laughs> me too. I feel invincible. And in yeah, prednisone. <laughs> I know it's a, that's a blessing and a curse that one. Um, just as long-term damage for that one. But other than that, for me, um, I have seen like family members in the past who've also had like health issues and not necessarily like their partly their diet, but also the medication and just the combination of it. And then slowly they just kind of, kind of withered. And like my mom's already passed away and my aunt and stuff like that. And they both kind of had illnesses. And so like, um, I just decided one day, like, okay, I'm going to just look into this. You know what I mean? And cause I was like, jack in a box, drinking tons of like coca-cola soda and like i was like my diet and i was like no i'm good and i would con- i would just control my arthritis with medication um which worked at the time for me and you know i was in that space at that time um but you know i just discovered like you know like oh maybe the things i'm eating are actually affecting like my inflammation and like triggering my arthritis to flare up and like my joints to be stiffer and you know and it's just because like processed sugar can be a trigger for it and gluten and dairy. And those are the, like the number top three for like autoimmune disease that can like mess with like just your body. If you have an autoimmune disease and it is what it is. Like it sucks. Like I'm like, why can't, I mean, I want to go get a double cheeseburger, you know what I mean? Or whatever. And get some curly fries and a ranch, you know? Um, and I can't, yeah. I'm, I'm able to do it if I choose to put it in my body, but if I don't, you know, and so I have tried dairy-free, gluten-free and processed sugar-free all, I've tried them all at the same time. And that is a process, by the way, like that's not something you just decide. And the next day you execute that one, because if you're used to eating a certain way your whole life, you know, and then you go have this crazy lifestyle change and you're like, well, what doesn't have gluten or what is it? Am I eating cardboard and you know what I mean? Uh, and ice cubes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. And that's what it seems like a lot of times. Um, and so I do now I do try to avoid gluten and I try to avoid dairy. And I try to avoid precious sugar. I mean, I do eat them cause I will, I've tasted the goodness. You know what I mean? Um, you get me a cheesecake and I'm like, okay, I'll have a slice. Um, and I just, I choose to put that in my body and, and I can feel the difference when I do like have my diet, what my body needs for it. Cause your body's a new different, you know what I mean? And so everyone's body's different. So, um, like, I feel like, I feel like I'm stronger. I feel like I don't need to run to the doctor and get a bunch of medication. Um, once again, not that there's anything wrong with that, you know, um, to each his own, in my opinion, um, you do you and whatever works for you. And, you know, um, this just works for me and where I'm at in my life right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm jumping in. No, you're good. (laughs) Yeah, like, and I think, you know, I always try to like pepper in little bits of evidence into the podcast, just so it's like kind of a more interesting and fun way to like learn, you know, personal stories, but also like some of the scientific evidence. And, you know, I just, Mm -hmm. I always say when we start talking about lifestyle, for the record, like, 
it's estimated like 90 to 95% of people with rheumatoid arthritis are going to require medication therapy to sustain long-term remission. That doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that if it's a goal of yours, like everyone should be free to have their own goals, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, one of my goal might be exercise related or sleep related. Your goal might be diet and nutrition related, and you could try to achieve that goal, but it's important to know the the odds are not in your favor if you are go- trying that. And again, I don't want to be depressing to anyone, but it's important to understand. I think that the evidence is super super strong for the current medications for mm-hmm. people diagnosed now. Um, and the other thing is that um, that lack of evidence is an evidence of a lack of. So there's a lot of arguments by the diet and nutrition um, proponents that say, wait a minute, well there's a lot of money in the pharmaceuticals. And that's very true. Like, you know, my insurance pays $60,000 a year for one of my medications, you know, that's not mm-hmm. even mentioning the other ones. So it's, I, I do expect from the evidence I've seen with like the gut microbiome and the relationship between the gut microbiome and the immune system and rheumatoid arthritis specifically, I think there's just going to keep being more and better evidence for it. I just, um, I think people should just be aware that it, that who are listening, if you're listening, you're trying to think like, what should I, what, what treatments should I try that, that, you know, it, it, first of all, that there is better evidence for medicine than nutrition on its own. However, that doesn't mean that you can't do both, you know? Mm-hmm. So now I'm Absolutely. going on a different tangent. There's so many people. It's like, why are we always saying it either or yeah. and the reason I'm kind of posing it either, or is that I've seen a lot of people who do jump head first. They're like, I don't even want to try medication. I want to do only diet and nutrition. And then they end up regretting it later because you can't turn the clock back on Mm -hmm. joint damage, unfortunately. So anyway, sorry, that's my little soapbox. No, you're good. And I agree with you. And so, and also for me, like I have been in this for like 36 years too. So like I've tried so many things that now I'm just in the place where I do do the medication, the low amount, and then I try with the diet and, uh, you know, like as well. Yeah. And I think I'm so glad you mentioned the three main triggers that I think are from what I've read, the most common triggers Mm -hmm. for inflammation, like sugar, gluten, and dairy. I've been gluten-free for over 10 years. Sadly, it hasn't had a noticeable effect on my RA that I can feel. Now, this is the other problem. I never know if I hadn't gotten gluten-free, would my rheumatoid arthritis have progressed faster? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Isn't that frustrating when we try something, you don't know, well, did, was it about to get worse? And I've stopped it from getting worse or slowed it down. Mm -hmm. Um, but it helps my digestion a lot. Look, I used to be chronically constipated. I didn't even know that I was until I cut out gluten. And then I was like, Oh, this is what like normal bowel movements like feel like, (laughs) sorry to be gross, but no, you're um, good. Yeah. And like dairy. Oh my gosh. Like I feel dairy immediately. Uh, I do occasionally have, you know, cheese and like lower lactose, but dairy, but it's like, I can, I get, um, mucusy. I can feel like my throat gets mucusy almost immediately. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. But it's crazy. Your body reacts like right away to it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of telling you, Hmm, I don't, I don't really like this. (laughs) So, um, and I was going to, I was going to ask you about like fatigue because sorry, this kind of feels like left field, but you know, a lot of times people, um, their fatigue can be just as difficult to cope with as pain. Mm -hmm. Do Mm -hmm. you have fatigue like currently? I don't, I don't think I do have it currently. I think I did more as a child mm-hmm. um, when my arthritis was, was way more active. Um, but now that it's more under control, I think I have less fatigue. And then even when I do have fatigue, like I have three children 
And so even when I do have fatigue, like I just, like I probably don't even acknowledge it (laughs) and just keep going in life because that's just what I've done my whole life. I feel like I swear the strongest people I know are the people who have chronic illnesses. It's like, (laughs) I thought I was strong before getting this and I've had to learn, you know, but how old are your children? So my daughter's seven and my two boys are nine and 11. Oh my gosh. Seven, nine. So they're all exactly, wow. You spaced them perfectly. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's a frequently asked question I get is like tips and tricks or wisdom from your experience being a mom managing, you know, now you have juvenile, what was called juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Now it's called juvenile idiopathic arthritis, but just for the record, the prognosis for that is a little different than rheumatoid arthritis. Like it Mm -hmm. actually is more likely to go into remission than, um, than adult rheumatoid arthritis. But at any rate, um, you, so what, what, I mean, we could talk for hours, I'm sure about what, you know, were your, did you have good pregnancies? Let's start with that. Like I went into remission during my pregnancy. What were your pregnancies like? Oh yeah. Well, first I didn't even know if I couldn't get pregnant. I had never tried. Um, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Um, but I turns out I'm very fertile and I did get pregnant (laughs) and, you know, and I, um, my pregnancy, so so as far as pregnancy symptoms, like I was just like super tired. Like I'd go to the store and come home and want to sleep. And that's just because I was pregnant. I don't even think it had anything to do with my arthritis, yeah. but I did go into remission. Um, and cause I stopped all medication. I mean, I talked to the doctor and they're like, well, you can keep doing your infusion if you want, but if you don't want to, like, it's okay. And we'll, if you need it, we'll help you. And so I was like, okay, I'd rather not just cause I wasn't sure, you know, and my first time being pregnant. And so it was all, all new to me. Um, and then, but I was fine and I was actually fine until I stopped breastfeeding like that far out. Um, and then once I stopped, then it was like, it came back with vengeance, but (laughs) and so, and so that was difficult. Yeah, no, and that's really common mm -hmm. that it, mine start, I had a postpartum flare up when I was still breastfeeding, like it started like about four weeks postpartum. And I also like you, I mean, my son's eight years old. And at the time they were, that was a lot more conservative, the advice with medications, it was, you Mm -hmm. know, go off them if you can. There's not enough evidence. Now there's a lot better evidence. And I'll link to that in the show notes from the American College of Rheumatology for which medications are actually found to be safe during pregnancy. Because it's also, if you don't end up getting that pregnancy remission, it's also not good for the baby to have like a lot of inflammation in the the mom's body. But, but anyway, yeah, like I started having the flare while I was still breastfeeding. I was like, darn it. I wanted to be one of those people who, you know, the breastfeeding, uh, you know, made the flare up delayed, but anyway, so that's good. I think my, with my first son, it actually did stop before it started. The flare up started before I ended breastfeeding, but by my third, it was, it was the longest I had gone. And then I ended up like stopped breastfeeding because I went on the infusion again. And so that was, uh, that was when my first one, it was actually like that. And it was actually like a hard decision at that point, because I wanted to give them my milk as long Mm -hmm. as I possibly could, but I did I did pump a lot and I was quite the producer. So no, it was what it was. I had bags in the freezer. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, yeah. Did you, I felt when I got, I got pregnant the first try too. And like you, I had no idea. You know, I had been medicated yeah. for, mm-hmm. you know, at that point, 12 years, you know, heavily medicated for rheumatoid yeah. arthritis. And so I was like, you know, and I've been on methotrexate and methotrexate, mm-hmm. just for the record, you definitely are not supposed to get pregnant with it, but it doesn't have any long-term effects on fertility that, that I've, I'm aware of, but I'll post to the American college of rheumatology resources on that. But, um, but I was still kind of like, okay. And we got pregnant the first try. 
Oh yeah. See? Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I was like shocked. I was like, look at my body, you know, like look at my body doing this. And then breastfeeding, I was like, wow, this is working. Like we did have to supplement with formula because I wasn't like a perfect producer, you know, but oh, it was yeah. at least like, I, I'm like, wow, this is, you know, I, I, I almost had like lo- too low of expectations, you know, I was trying um, to lower my expectations so I wouldn't be disappointed. And then I was yeah, like, for sure. what? Yeah. But, um, but you know, did you have difficulties when you had those postpartum flare-ups? I mean, parenting is a really physical job, you know, diapers, clothing, picking them up, putting them down, Mm -hmm. just the relentless, it's relentless. Like was, did you, uh, experience difficulty with, with that? Or were you just like, I am woman, hear me roar (laughs) or both or both. No, I mean, I mean, not, um, not both, well, both in the sense of like, I, I did what I had to do to take care of the baby. You know what I mean? Um, but it was, it was really hard and it was, it kind of came as a surprise, especially the first time, because I didn't expect it to come back like so hard on me, you know, because I was on the the infusion at that time before and I was fine. I was coasting Mm -hmm. and you know what I mean? And then I cut it off and then like not being on any meds and, and then just feeling the full force of like my arthritis attacking my joints. I mean, it was really difficult. Like there'd be times where like it would, I would feel pain when I like lifted, you know, the baby or whatever, you know, um, I still lifted him, you know, and even though I was in pain, that's the, not the Harry roar part, but that's the part where I did whatever you have to do, take care of your child. You know what I mean? Right. But I did, I acted quickly when I decided to stop breastfeeding. Like I, you know, I was like, Hey, I need something, you know, even if you give me a shot of quarters on my butt to get me tied over until I get on, you know what I mean? I like, I, that's so funny. They put it in your butt. Like I've, I've always done the prednisone pills. That's so interesting. Oh, yeah. Well, this was cortisone. Like oh, cortisone. Oh, I'm sorry. When you said this cortisone, is like the white one. They did the, the, the prednisone, uh, yeah, they did prednisone on my butt too. The yellow, the yellow one. Yeah. 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 That's mm-hmm. so interesting. Anyway, sorry. Mm. Yeah, they, I did the pills to it. All of it was gross. Ugh. No, you know what? I actually want to do an episode. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I want to do an episode of like weirdest slash grossest things we've had oh, as a result yeah. of. Re- <laughs> but I was like, I got a wart in my toenail. Like, who gets that? But it was like supposedly <laughs> like because you know warts are viral, so it was like oh, yeah, yeah, I had yeah. to go to the podiatrist. Anyway. Total side note, but yeah, so you had, yeah, I have had that. It's such a hard feeling when you have pain picking up your child. Cause like from a psychology perspective, like from a classical conditioning perspective, right? Every time you ring the bell, the dog like salivates because it thinks it's going to get, you know, a treat. If every time you pick up your precious child that you like, that you wanted and you love if every time it hurts you, like some part of your brain is like, I don't want to pick it up anymore, (laughs) you know, or like, I'm kind of like mixed about this. So I think that's one of the most emotionally challenging things for me was, was having to adjust to learning how to be a parent, all the overwhelming, I found it very overwhelming, just choosing, you know, which bottle to use, which this, which sippy cup, Mm -hmm. there's just endless decisions. And I think it was almost a blessing and a curse being trained as a pediatric occupational therapist, right? Because you know, all the things that could go wrong, you know? Mm, Yeah. But um, you seem pretty like um, emotionally stable, like just (laughs) what I know of you. Like, what's your secret? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I've always been pretty balanced, though, you know, like, and the times when, like, I'll be honest, like, there's a part of me that if I go like deep enough into myself or like think about as a child, me as a child, like, it makes me, that makes me really sad because, like, it was just such a struggle. 
And I don't think I've actually dealt with, I would say that there are people who have chronic pain or illness, and especially from childhood, that's like probably had trauma as a result yeah. of it. Like whether it was like from other people, you know, I mean, like I can tell you horror stories about when they serial casted me and took the cast off and how horrible it went. And like, yeah, I don't know. And so, yeah, but other than that, emotionally, I'm just, I'm usually just like very stable. I know. I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe it's your, your brain chemistry. We need scientists to study yeah. you. No, so, but like, so I did, yeah, it's funny. You anticipated my next question, like after the treatments was going to be, um, you know, okay. So I have two different questions. I actually do want to go into the serial casting first, but I do want to also, if you're up for it, talk a little bit about what it was like to have so much pain as a child and like socially how that, you know, affected you. Oh, yeah. But, but yeah. So when you say, I'm just going to say for the audience, when you say serial casting, it's S E R I A L. And it's not something that's done anymore for rheumatoid no. arthritis to my knowledge. It can be done with cerebral palsy or like what they call a fixed contractures or like fixed deformities that to try to straighten uh try to increase the range of motion in, in the area of your body but so you have experienced serial casting can you can you tell the audience a little bit of the what you want to share about it you don't have to share everything no, yeah. terrible <laughs> i was i was serial casted twice and and so i guess back then that long ago now they just use a joint with surgically and so my knees started to bend and not string and they're like well she can't walk with bent knees so we're gonna bring her in the hospital like force her knee straight, put a cast on it, come back in two days, take it off, force her knee straighter, put a cast on it, come back to force it serial. So over and over and over. I don't like to say like a serial killer, but that's what people think. <laughs> you know, it happens. Yeah. So I thought so, spelled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. The first time was in San Diego. Um, and it was horrible and like, it was all the way up to my thighs and I was in school and that was just awful. Like, I tell people I was a loser in school and they're like, no, you weren't. I was like, you weren't there. You weren't there. I was. <laughs> um, kids are mean, but you know. Did, were you stronger. on crutches or was it, was it both knees or just one? It was both knees. Oh. I was on crutches before I even had it just to help my knees because they were bending. Um, and then they did the serial casting. And so the story with the, the one crazy time was that um, I was having them taken off one time and it was like, Okay, so they have like the fun saw now that just vibrates and you can touch it. They didn't have that saw 36 years ago. They had a big, scary saw. And this girl was taking off the casts and they do the right side and the inside and the inside and the outside, you know, and then they pull the cast off and she's cutting it. And it's her first time. And like, I'm laying there and like, I'm screaming, like, it's cutting me, it's cutting me. And then she's like, no, it's just warm. And so then they're holding me down. And, and and I'm still screaming. And then they they cut, they cut, they cut, they cut, and they don't take them off. And they're at the end, they take them off, and it's like blood, 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 blood up and down both sides of my legs. My mom walks out just crying, and I'm just laying there. <laughs> it was horrible. Aww. I mean, it wasn't like oh I was gosh. like hemorrhaging, but it was like it cut through the skin enough to bleed a little. And oh my like, god, that makes me so sad and angry for you that you me had to too yeah. I, I don't actually think I've dealt well with it I just think I was just like oh it could be worse but like that was really traumatic as a child yeah, they could have sawed my whole leg off <laughs> and like, it always could be worse it you always know. could be worse that's not I a know. reason to not feel bad for yourself yeah, but yeah know. oh I'm so sorry I, I think that touches a nerve for me of the nerve of not being believed you know because yes. you were telling them mm -hmm. And they didn't believe you. Yeah. 
that to me is like, whether it's telling them about your pain levels or whether it's telling them mm-hmm. you're literally cutting me, like you're cutting yeah. me. That's huge. It was crazy. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. She just kept going and just holding me down. But I mean, did you, I feel like I'm like live in a really litigious area. I feel like people around me in my area in this Seattle suburbs would have like sued or like no, at least yeah. complained, like lodged a complaint. And then like, <laughs> I know, I don't know. Medical don't errors think... happen. Like, and that's yes. one of the sad reality is like yeah. doctors and residents are, they are human beings who make mm-hmm. mistakes. And, but, um, but hopefully that they learned something from that, you know, or like, do they ever apologize to you or anything? I don't recall them apologizing to me. I don't know if maybe they ever to, to my parents, maybe my parents, but yeah, but she and never, how, how old were oh, you? Okay. I was probably like eight or nine then. Okay. Yeah. You see, you're definitely older, old enough to be believed. Like I, yeah. this is such a nerve for me. Like when my son was at a dentist appointment, he was, um, they were putting this thing to get, to get an x-ray. And I, I have, I have a really strong gag reflex and he does too. And it was like in the back, you know, the thing in the back, like, oh, yeah. munch on or whatever, like, you know, and he said it hurt, like it, it jams into your throat a little bit and it hurts sometimes. And she goes, the lady doing it was like, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. And I was like, hold on. He said it hurts. Like he, it hurts. He is not the kind of kid that will just say it hurts when it doesn't. He, is trying really well also because I had been bribing him I told him we could have like said if he didn't <laughs> if he did. so I know he him. is motivated like he is motivated to do this he's not trying to get out of it but it's he's it hurts him and I, I think it's just it's so egregious how kids are not believed in general and then yeah. also many adults are not believed so oh I'm so sorry but but um you know you you worry able to recover hopefully do they did they have to like did you put band-aids on it or how did that work yeah there's band-aids up and down my legs oh my gosh I know that sounds awful and being I'm very claustrophobic so also the idea of being held down is very upsetting yeah it was like the fact that I wasn't like heard or acknowledged I was just like wow like oh "Oh, that's where you learn your voice doesn't matter you know what I mean like yes yeah we're you know, in general, pediatric rheumatologists have like a good reputation in the medical field for being like very like good bedside manner. And like, Mm -hmm. was it your rheumatologist who did this or was it like a casting department? No. Yeah. It was just someone at the time of the children's hospital I went to. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't a rheumatologist. It was, I actually think it was a physical therapist who, I mean, she said it was her first time and I think there was maybe no one else there to do it, but she shouldn't have been doing that. No, <laughs> no, she should have listened to you, especially if it's your first time to have yeah. that hubris to be like, oh, well, you're not really bleeding. Like, yeah. How do I you know. know if you've never done it before? Yeah. Sorry. I want to, I, I, I want to oh. write a strongly word letter. To that <laughs> your person. Passion. Yeah. Your I passion there. Well, and so that does bring me to the question about, you know, being a, being a young child, with, you know, with juvenile arthritis, a condition that so many people don't understand, you know, what was that like socially? Like, did you have any friends that were kind of there for you that like maybe helped you in school or, or was it like you said, you were, what did you say earlier? You were like a, a dork or something. I was a total loser. I was a lizard. Oh, loser. Oh, yeah. So a dork. <laughs> don't a dork. talk about my friend that way. Yeah. 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 Haters. <gasps> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. No. What, so what, can you give me some examples or what, what, it, what did it feel like? Oh, it, it was 
I, I was super lonely as a kid, and I don't think I've only acknowledged that recently in my older age, you know what I mean? Um, but, and I wanted, like, I wanted to be accepted. I wanted friends. And there were, like, a couple, you know, of course, part of me was like, oh, they're just pity friends, you know? And because you could never tell because I was the one leaving early. I was the one falling asleep in class. I was the one who clearly had a physical issue. I walked different. I had casts and crutches, you know what I mean? So I was, you know people would make fun of the way I walked, you know, down the hallways and stuff like that. Um, and so, I mean, I didn't have a lot of friends. There were probably like two girls who would hang out here and there with me and stuff like that in elementary school. And then junior high, hardly anyone again. Um, but junior high is just a very weird time for everybody, let alone the yeah. girl who's like super different, the only one in the school like that. Um, and then high school, I mean, I was definitely a loner in high school and, and probably a loser too. Um, but definitely a loner. I was just different, you know, like I was okay sitting, eating my hot pocket, drinking my Coke, just watching everyone, you know, like I became like the watcher and there were a couple of people I knew, you know what I mean? But we didn't like hang out and stuff all the time. Um, and so, you know, there's a couple people on the bus I would talk to, but so socially it was hard. Like I was always... I always felt different from everybody. You know, I felt broken. And then, you know, and then even now, I still struggle feeling broken. Um, and then people are like, you're not. And I'm like, uh, my reflection, I have a mirror. You know what I mean? Because like, I don't have the type of arthritis. Like, like a lot of people say it's a silent disease and you right, can't invisible. see it. Yeah. yeah, invisible. And and it is for a lot of people. That's just not my story, though. <laughs> Mine is right. not. Mine is very, you know, like I, I, I walk better now because the knees are fake. Um, but I still walk a little different, you know what I mean? And like, uh, like parts of my body have moved or whatever, like my wrist looks different. Yeah. Um, You have like, if you look, you can see, like, I don't have very severe, but you can kind of see like the enlarged knuckles or like the lack of, you know, full range of motion. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I've seen lots of doctors for it and they've mentioned fusing. They've mentioned replacements, not wrist though. They don't want to do that. I'm like, just give it a try. (laughs) I was going to say, I've never really heard it because the wrist is not actually like, it's a joint, but it's actually like the two bones and Mm -hmm. the two, the radius and the ulna. And then there's like 11 little tiny bones here. Yeah. It's a lot. Like, I don't even know how they would do that, but yeah. Especially if it's not even normal to begin with, like Mm -hmm. yours is looks, mine looks much different than yours. (laughs) My wrist is not very affected. Yeah. 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 I've, my, it was only my left one and you can't really see it you can't see anything, but it, after having Charlie, I think I just, oh, I think it was honestly overuse, like where I would mm-hmm. always hold my, my left side because I'm right-handed. But, but oh, anyway, yeah. yeah I, I know people who've had wrist fusions, but not wrist replacements. Yeah. They definitely would recommend more of a wrist fusion for me, but mm-hmm. I just, I mean, my wrist definitely looks different and I hate that about me. And it's hard every summer to get tank tops on and just walk out and be who I am, but I do yeah. it. <laughs> um, yeah. But they, yeah, they said probably not a replacement, but they would fuse it in a heartbeat. But I think it's more functional the way it is, even though it looks different. And it's like, uh, there's not much joint left and it's mm-hmm. kind of moved a little bit. Hmm. So. But yeah, it's interesting. You said, you know, you felt broken and still still struggle with that. I know that reminds me a lot of talking to, um, I talked to Carol Ruth Silverstein who had juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and wrote a book called Cursed about it. Have you heard of her book? No, but I'm definitely interested. It's really good. Like, and I, I had her on the podcast, so I'll link to her episode, but it's, um, it's like, 
there's so much um, what's called inspiration porn out there about people with disabilities. Like, you know, Jen had juvenile arthritis, but she didn't let it get her down. She still did everything other kids did. Like, that's not like, that's still valuing able-bodied people over pe- disabled people, right? To say that yeah. like, it's okay. I can still do everything. Like, no, the point is we can't do everything and we still deserve respect and love and yeah. self-worth. So anyway, her book <laughs> is- a, a, in the voice of a teenager um, who has juvenile arthritis, who is, is not, um, her name's Ricky, and she um, really go, I mean, she is not the model patient. She's not like, it's okay. You know, she is like, this sucks. Like she's cursing. Like it's cursed. It's kind of has like multiple meanings, right? She's cursing mm. about it. She's like, fuck this situation. Sorry, <laughs> we can swear on this podcast. Too. <laughs> it's fine. I can do what I want. Um, <laughs> I yeah. Want. And it's so different because I'm like a little, I'm a little miss perfect. Like I'm, I still, I struggle with being like a goody two shoes and like wanting everyone to think I'm perfect. And that's totally not healthy, by the way, <laughs> just yeah. for anyone listening, you know, um, so, but I like, when I was starting off, starting off with my rheumatoid arthritis journey, I wanted to just do everything right. And like the fact that my first medications worked, like, and rolling with the truck site, I was like, I'm the perfect patient. La, 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 look at me and everything's yeah. great. And then when things stopped working, I was like, what is happening? Like, <laughs> like from, you know, from such highs to such lows, but yeah, again, sorry, I'm going to like connect one of my thoughts here that the, the novel is so good at kind of talking about that isolation and that kind of like, there's a word for it, but when you're so afraid someone's going to reject you, that you reject them first, or you say, something oh, yeah. to them, you know, like, I don't, I'm not going to let you get close to me because I'm worried you're going to reject me. So I'm just going to reject you. Yeah. It's almost like self-sabotage kind of. That's yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, before you hurt me, I'm gonna like hurt yeah. you or, or end this. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think if anyone's experiencing like what you are talking about, that isolation, um, it, it's that book I think is helpful because it just it helps you at least even if you're in your in your quote unquote real life like still isolated that you can at least know that other people have experienced. You know, you're not actually alone. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. But um. But, but yeah, like, I guess for me, I still, I feel really stubborn about this fact, but I'm kind of like, what is normal anyway? You know what oh, I yeah. mean? Like, yeah. would your life be perfect if you had like totally quote unquote normal shoulders or joints? I mean, like it's no, no one's life is, you'd find something else to worry about. Yes. You know, this is, I'm not giving you a pep talk. I'm giving everybody <laughs> a pep talk. Do you know what I mean? Like no, you have good. to be so careful not to think like, cause I, I, I fall on this trap all the time. If I didn't have rheumatoid arthritis, my life would be perfect. It's mm-hmm. like, no, it wouldn't. No one no. gets a perfect life lady. No. Like, yeah, you were sure. delusional. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> well, I was talking to myself. <laughs> for me, I've always said like, because the normal thing is, you know, because I, because I, 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 I want to be normal or whatever. But then there's a point where I'm like, I am normal, but it's, it's normal for me. You know what I mean? It's normal for me to walk different. It's normal for my wrist to look like that. It's normal for me to feel this way. You know what I mean? So like, that is my normal, if that makes sense. Uh, absolutely, yeah. And I, I just, before we start wrapping up, because I, I can't believe it's gone by so fast, but um, I'm curious what you've done for work. Cause a lot of people worry, you know, how is this going to affect my career choices or, or, you know, have you been on disability or how, how has that worked? So, yeah, it has affected um, in some ways I've had jobs. Like I've had like a bunch of little, I've had jobs at the mall. I've worked at SeaWorld and, um, so for me, and I have, I am on, I have been on disability. Um, for me, like 
And the disability part for me was mostly just to get health insurance. Like I don't need anything else. But when I turned 25, I got kicked off my parents' insurance. Yeah. And then I I called whatever the insurance people and asked how much it would be for my own um, policy. And of course, I have pre-existing. And this was like 10 years ago, and it was going to be $800 a month. So that's when I was like, well, I either have to get like a really good job that's not SeaWorld and all these other jobs or, you know, just try to get this ability and get the whatever best coverage I can get. And that's what I did at that age, you know. Um, And and so for me and two, like some people can do anything, you know, because it doesn't affect them. Like so I would work 40 hours a week at SeaWorld or more, but I would pay for it. Like I didn't have like a job where I sat and I was on like a phone all on the computer all day. Like I was moving and cooking and I worked in the cafeteria for like the employees. So I did, and I did prep. And, and so for me, it takes a toll. It actually takes a toll on my body. Like, and and then like, then I feel like I have to like pick between pushing my body and what that results in long-term for me. Like it's going to make, it's going to wear my body down sooner than later. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like, do I pick, you know, like sacrifice my body to work or, you know what I mean? Or do I try to get on disability and then work with them and they have programs where you can make money on the side and stuff like that, you know, right, right. Um, which is an option. Um, so for me, yeah, it's definitely affected like working and like what I would, I, what it, if I didn't have arthritis, I would want, I would have like bigger dreams, I think, or like mm-hmm. at times I think I did have bigger dreams and then they just didn't pan out because of my situation. And I don't want to necessarily use it as an excuse because I think we should just take responsibility. You know what I mean? Like I could start a business. I mean, I'm not sure how or whatever, but you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I could. Yeah. I could there was less paperwork to register my business than there was to register my son for kindergarten. I will say that, that was a little <laughs> oh. bit concerning. I'm oh. like, really? Like, I mean, oh. there's that was just the initial paperwork, but yeah. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And so for me, it did, it, it, it comes at a cost. And so it's, it's like, do I want to risk my health long-term or do I want to figure out more of a short-term thing that's going to make my body be easier on my body? Yeah. For me. No. And, and so many people fall into that category, right? You're not so severely, mm-hmm. you know, disabled that you're like, you can't do any work, yeah. but you're also not fully able-bodied. You're in that kind of messy middle and, and it, the, the system, all the systems in our society seem to work really well. If you're on either end of the pool, I mean, not perfectly right. But if, you know, uh, they, they have a lot of services for each side, like people who are really able-bodied and people who are super, super disabled. And then there's like that middle where you're like, where do I even fit in? So I appreciate you sharing, sharing that. And I think it is with, when you add health insurance into the mix, it definitely becomes a better decision for many people to, you know, go on disability if they qualify. Yeah. Yeah. It's a a tough thing. Cause like, you really, if you are on it, like you really get stuck in it. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, well, I can't, you know, we can't make more than this amount or else uh, you would get kicked off of it or, you know what I mean? And then you take the chance of doing something and it not working out. And then, then you have no insurance and then you have to start back at square one. So I do, I do think you're like that middle ground you're talking about is just the hard area to be in. That's the area. Like, I feel like I've been stuck there before and like, it's just, it's just really challenging, especially when it's like about your health. I'm like, well, like I said, my knees are fake. Like those weren't cheap, you know, like, thank God yeah. I had insurance for them, you know, right, or just right. anything. I broke my leg a while back shortly after I had one of my, my, my second child. And like, 
I had surgery the very next day. Like, you know what I mean? Like I needed insurance oh for that and stuff. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just the insurance thing is a hard one for me because it, I feel like I'm just, I get stuck in it sometimes. I, yeah, you are not the only one and, and definitely we need universal healthcare <laughs> for multiple reasons, that being one of them. But, um, the other, the last question I usually like to ask is, you know, what advice do you have for someone newly diagnosed either with juvenile idiopathic arthritis or, uh, a young person? I still think of myself as a young person with rheumatoid arthritis, even though I turned 40 last year. So, oh, you're um, still young. You're still yeah, young. I, know. I mean, it's all relative, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what, what advice do you have or just words of wisdom? So like someone being freshly diagnosed? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would say expect your life to change, but it doesn't always have to change in like a negative way. Uh, I would also recommend that if you can find support, um, whether it's someone who's experienced it or a group on Facebook or whatever, you know what I mean? Reach out for help when you need it. Um, don't ever let it stop you. I'm a big fan of that. Like growing up, I always had people would tell me, oh, you can't do this or she can't do that. And I would be like, watch me. And I would, I would do it. I might look different doing it, but I would do it. And I actually recently got a tattoo on my shoulder that says, it says, watch me. I love that. Oh I just got this in November. Yeah. And, and like, it's just kind of like something I've always said. And like the mindset I've always had, you know, like, and I've always said, I'm never going to let it stop me. And, and I won't. Once again, I may look different doing something, right? <laughs> but right. I, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to do it, especially if it's something, especially if you tell me I can't do it, then I'm like, well, challenge accepted, you know? Yes. So like, you're going to face challenges with it. You know, everything is trial and error, uh, whether it's medications, exercise, your diet. Um, yeah, just, I would say, you know, like there's times where you feel like it's going to like, possibly overtake you because I felt that in my life in my years with it like you know what I mean if I let it but if I you know if I'm in charge of my body you know what I mean like my body will submit to to me you know and if you have a, a strong mind you have a strong body strong spirit like I'm big on that like you'll you'll be strong you know it's not always gonna be easy like don't expect it to be easy but you can you know you can do anything so you're seriously a tough person. I love it. <laughs> I'm so glad that you, you came on. Like I just, yeah, I appreciate your story and I all, you know, especially all those years of experience you have, um, I hopefully are going to be really helpful to people listening. So sorry, that was my cat in the background. Yeah. Oh <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I'm going to put your social media link if you'd like me to in yeah. the show notes, but can you sure. just say it out loud? Uh, where can people find you? So Instagram, Instagram? It's, Instagram is just Jen Blair three and I'm on Facebook. Just search Jen Blair. Awesome. Thank you so much again. Yeah, and, thank you. So. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully talk to you again soon. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, a membership and support community where you'll learn how to develop your own Thrive toolbox so you can live a full life despite your rheumatic disease or chronic illness. Learn more in the show notes or by going to www.myarthritislife.net. You can also connect with me on my social media accounts on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok. Check out the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. 
This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.